Thanks for leading the singing. It's been such a joy. Thank you for the testimonies, ladies. Just, I mean, I think we all could have just gone home right after that and been thoroughly blessed or just stayed and continued to hear more testimonies. That was amazing and such a testimony to the faithfulness of God in the seasons of our lives. And then Ashley made reference to being transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, which is obviously what happened to those ladies and what has happened to you if you are saved. So that's what we want to talk about in our next session, walking in the light. I'm unfortunately often reminded of the importance and urgency of this particular topic, walking in the light, as I have watched some professing Christians struggle with and fall into sin, and unfortunately in some cases continue in darkness rather than light, proving that they indeed were never saved to begin with. So it's a very serious topic uh, that we want to address this morning. And I pray today that we can not only gain knowledge and understanding from the Bible, but that that will help us to develop sensitive hearts that will cause us to run to the true light and to repentance and holiness and joy. So let's pray for that now. Father, thank you again for the wonderful testimonies of your saving grace that we have heard this morning. Thank you for meeting with us and ministering to us and convicting us and blessing us. Thank you that we are together in sweet fellowship. And now as we open your word, may you show us what it truly looks like to walk in holiness, to walk in the light. I pray that we would be very open to the leading of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So our springboard passage is 1 John 1, 5 through 7. If you want to turn to that, 1 John 1, 5 through 7. Perhaps on your handout, you do not have scripture references on that, so please be mindful to write them down as I will be referencing a lot of different scripture verses. But let's start with 1 John 1, 5 through 7, and listen as I read. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So let's define our terms here. I think that it is obvious, but I still want to make sure we're on the same page. Darkness can be used to describe many things. So I think here we're talking about a darkness of sin or a moral darkness, not the darkness that we're in through suffering or hardship, but this is a darkness of sin. And walking here represents our manner of life. In other words, it's not talking about perfection, but the general bent and direction of your life as you walk as a Christian. It's that which characterizes you. You see, even if we're saved or we're born again, we will still sin until the day they put us in a casket. That's not what John is referring to. He's not talking about sinless perfection here, but the bent or general, general direction of your life 
regarding your pursuit of holiness. And light here is a metaphor. John is not speaking literally about the illumination for our vision. Everyone understands that you can see plainly when the lights are bright and you stumble and you fall and you stub your toe and you have trouble finding what you're looking for when it's dark. Therefore, light or walking in the light refers to living in a manner that is open, visible, and illuminated. Walking in the light refers to living in a manner that is open, visible, and illuminated. So now take a look at your outline, which is conveniently full of A words to hopefully help us remember. And the first one is attribute. Light is an attribute of God. God is light. He doesn't just shed light, but God is light, as 1 John uh, 1, 5 says. He's absolutely perfect. He's holy. There is no darkness in him. It is an attribute of God. James 1.17 says, Every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You see, God never dims. He never varies. He never changes. There is never even a hint of a shadow in him. What about the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Jesus says in John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John 1, 4, speaking of Christ, in him was life and the life was the light of men. But not only is light an attribute of God, it characterizes a true Christian. In John 8, 12, we also see that a true follower of Christ does not walk in darkness. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Are you a true follower of Christ? You are one that will not walk in darkness. That's why this is so serious and so scary and why we must examine ourselves. And it's imperative to know, ladies, that the natural bent of every person is is to walk in darkness and avoid the light. When you're sleeping, does this ever happen to you? Because it happens to me a lot. And you are really just under the covers in a wonderful, relaxed state of sleep in the dark, and all of a sudden, here comes your husband or one of your children or your roommate, burst in the door, flips on the... Now, okay, I would understand maybe if it was a lamp, but it's that overhead light that gets me. They flip on the overhead light, and I say, what are you doing? And what do you do? You pull the covers over your head until they turn the light off. You can relate. You know the reaction that you get when you do that to someone else. I just want to hide my face right here in the dark, under the covers, unbothered. And the same is true, ladies, when we are walking in sin. Because we are walking in what? In darkness is what the word says. Nothing is more bothersome than someone turning on the light, if you will, exposing you and your sin. But one who is saved, one who has been forgiven by God through Christ is different. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people called for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness 
out of darkness, you heard the two testimonies, out of darkness into his marvelous light. Ephesians 5, 8, and 9. For at one time, you used to be, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. There is a definite distinction here. Light and dark, not gray, not shadowy, not dusky. So how do we walk in the light? You say, I know I am saved. I know I was transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So how do we walk in the light? Your second A, you agree with God. How do we do that? We agree with what he says in his word. That's how God has chosen to speak to us, through his word, the Bible. It is truth. But you can't agree with something unless you know what it says. Our inclination naturally is not to agree with it. What we naturally think will always be against the word of God. We treat the Bible like the terms and conditions on a company's website. You ever done that? Please tell me I'm not the only one. You're on the computer and you start to sign something and you must give your consent to the terms and conditions. And you start scrolling and you scroll and it scroll. And it's, you know, 10 pages of six-point font, you know, that you couldn't read even with your reading glasses. And you don't read it, if you're honest. Who, who does? Nobody could. And you click the button and you sign and you're done. You don't know what you just signed. You have no idea if you agree with it or not because you don't know what it says. I think sometimes we treat the Bible like that. We say, yep, yep, we know. We believe the Bible. Yep, we know. We agree with it, but do you really know what it says? You can't agree with something if you don't know what it says. We minimize our sin by pleading ignorance. I can't be at fault if I don't know. And in legal terms, if you want to continue down that trail, that's called culpable ignorance. Can't be responsible if I don't know what it says. I had the greatest illustration of all time in one of my children, Charlie, our second born. When he was about 10 and Parker was about 12, or 11 and 13, whatever, the older they are, the better this illustration will make me sound, but I think they might have been on a little bit on the younger side, and I dropped them, again, this is in the dark ages, when you didn't have cell phones, and I dropped them at Shea Stadium to go see a Mets game. Dropped him at the top of Roosevelt and said, okay, after the game, now you get the one, you go down, you catch the seven and go one stop to Shea, you get off, uh, go to the game, come back, call, call me collect. You know, there used to be pay phones. Some of you are shaking your head. Call me collect and I will come back and pick you up here. And I am giving this detailed thing and I look back at Charlie and he is most literally going <laughs> And I said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm not listening, because if I hear everything, then I'll be responsible. And I want my brother Parker to remember it for me. And so, ladies, you ever do that? Huh? Again, you can use that illustration in so many lessons you teach, but it is so perfect for this one. Because with him, he thought, if I'm ignorant, culpable ignorance, I don't have to worry about anything. I can just not listen, and then I'm not responsible. But that's not how God works. We are responsible. We're sinners. We're all going to hell. 
Even though we may not know or agree with the word, we're still responsible. And so I would suggest that we learn and know the word really well, because that's not an excuse that is going to be valid when we are appealing to God. When we're standing before him on judgment day, he's not going to take that one. We cannot stand there with our fingers in our ears making noise. I didn't know, so it doesn't matter. I came across a very disturbing section from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. If we don't know something, this is what it says, if we don't know something is wrong, it may remain a moral evil, but we cannot be held accountable for that sin. The very fact that we do what we know to be wrong is what makes it sin. Oh, and I would have to agree so much. How are we the determining fact in what is right and wrong, number one? God, the creator and judge of all, is the determining fact of that. And look, ladies, whether you think or know it's wrong, it's still wrong. So don't be caught up in any of these excuses that you think that we can bring to God. What makes something sin? We know from Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And quite frankly, that pretty much covers everything and everybody. And from 1 John 3, we know that sin is the transgression of the law. Doesn't matter if we think it is or not. It is. Whoever establishes that law then would be the one who defines what sin is. So the Bible is clear in Isaiah 33 and James 4 that God himself established that law. Therefore, he is the one that can tell us if it is right or wrong. Clearly, it is not our knowledge of right or wrong that makes something sin or not. And clearly from the following passages, we can't use ignorance as an excuse. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails even in one point has become guilty of it all. Romans 1.20 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Ladies, don't think that you can plug up your ears and plead ignorance. And don't think that we can be cherry pickers and just obey the parts of the Bible that suit us. Because we might know it, but it's like, I really, I don't read that much because I don't, I don't want to know that section of the Bible. That really doesn't apply to me. I don't really want it to apply to me. So don't be like a cherry picker and take what you want. We must read the word, the whole word, and read it thoughtfully so that we can obey it carefully and joyfully. If I asked you ladies in here to raise your hands if you believed that the Bible was true, most, if not all, I'm sure would say, yes, we do, we do. And then if I was to ask everyone who raised their hands, turn to a passage right now on the spot that deals with temptation or lust or adultery or lying or gluttony or relating to your husband or your tongue or modesty, etc. Could you do it? Just like we scroll down those terms and conditions, how can you agree with the word if you don't know what it says? And agreeing with God takes it a further step it's obeying him as well. There must be a change in our thoughts. Our minds must be renewed, and we must train ourselves to think biblically true thoughts to combat all of the lies that not only the world is telling us, the lies that our sinful, wicked hearts are telling us. 
John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So, ladies, if we know that we have the gold mine of God's word, him speaking truth to us, let's learn it. Let's know it. Let's study it. Let's obey it. And that is agreeing with God. How else do we walk in the light? Roman numeral three, accountability. The dictionary definition is an obligation or willingness to accept responsibility or to account for one's actions. That's the dictionary definition of accountability. And I would say, yes, that's right. In the Christian life, that is true. An obligation or willingness to accept responsibility or to account for one's actions. But the accountability in the Christian's life starts and for the most part ends with the local church. It's okay if you say, you know, I have an accountability partner back in college and uh, she's great. Or I've got a family member a few states away that holds me accountable. That's good. Keep Keep them on as accountability partners. But understand that it is the responsibility of your brothers and sisters and your elders of your local church to hold you accountable. That's what we are to be doing. That's one anothering each other. There has to be participation in one another's lives apart from Sunday morning. Just like that quote I read out of the book about what true fellowship is, friendship among Christian sisters, we must be doing life together during the week. We must be meeting and praying and communicating throughout the week. It's not just the Sunday morning onlys. God has designed the Christian life to be lived in community, in fellowship with other believers. It is dangerous to be that individualistic, lone ranger, private Christian. And remember that our relationship with God is personal for sure, but it is not private. There's a big difference. Personal, but not private. Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. If you just lock yourself away and say, I'm going to isolate myself from all those Christians. I don't want that. I don't want anybody bothering me. Wow, you have just broken off from any sound judgment that is going to be spoken into your life. That's dangerous. Find one or more mature Christian believers, not those, remember about a true friend, not those who are just going to tell you what you want to hear, but find one or more mature Christian believers who will challenge you and speak truth into your life and ask you very hard questions. Now let's turn the table. Perhaps you are that mature Christian believer. You're an older woman in the church, more mature in your faith than some of the younger women or younger believers, and you need to come alongside a sister who is in sin and help her and hold her accountable. Help her to walk in the light. Don't sit back and take either a judgmental or an apathetic approach. Do something to help. So if you are needing some accountability, you seek that out. If you are a mature Christian believer sitting here today, seek out some younger believer that needs your help or some struggling believer that needs your help. Don't be apathetic and don't be judgmental toward them. Help them. Help your sisters to walk in the light. 
And please don't view this negatively. I really, really want us to see the positive aspect of accountability. Because I think we hear that word and it's just like we bristle. Say, we, yeah, we don't want anybody that involved in our lives. Do you understand that it is having an accountability partner or partners to assist us in walking in the light is not having the sin police breathing down our necks. Having others help us walking in the light by helping us fight and gain victory over sin is a lovely thing designed by God and commanded by him. Designed by our holy, loving God who cares very much for us and our holiness and sanctification. And he has put this in place for us to use as a tool to help us walk in the light that is accountability from other believers. We must be accountable, but here's the catch, ladies, and here's what I learned so many times over the years of ministry, walking in the light, walking in accountability only works if you're actually being transparent. Thus, our next word, fitting it in there with the A, acrylic, your acrylic life, all right? We can sound really spiritual. We can sound like we care if we say, yes, I'm in an accountability group or a small group. I have an accountability partner. But where that accountability breaks down is when the person being held accountable is deceptive and dishonest and keeps secret sins very close to their heart. So you can use all the words you want, but unless you're being honest and transparent, this thing is not going to work. Everything's on the table. Nothing is hidden. There's not a shadowy corner where your secret sin or sins are hiding. But why don't we live those acrylic lives? Let's look at a few reasons. Number one, it makes us look bad. I do not want you to see how bad I really am, especially when you think I'm pretty good. Confession is good for the soul, but it is bad for the reputation. Our natural tendency is to protect our reputation at all costs, protect my reputation, even if that means lying about something I'm doing habitually or secretly. And if you tell people what you actually think or you've actually done, it may diminish your reputation in their eyes, honestly. So you are running that risk. But is your reputation more valuable or is you walking in holiness before a holy God more valuable? Eternally, the latter is more valuable. So please keep that in mind. So why don't we live an acrylic life? It makes us look bad. Number two, we just don't want to leave our sin. If you ask me hard questions about my sin struggle, then I'm going to have to be honest and work on repenting. And quite frankly, I just enjoy my sin too much to do that. Number three, you have been burned in the past by a lack of confidentiality. Let's say you struggle with a sin of a very personal nature. You share that with somebody that you hoped would help you and hold you accountable. You're like, yeah, I'm all for that accountability stuff. I'll share it with you. I'll be honest. Yet, she told someone else, and your secret is no longer safe. Why in the world would you tell another soul about your latest fall or sin struggle? So, you've been burned. 
What's another reason we don't live acrylic lives? We convince ourselves of the lie that we can defeat our, the sin on our own and we don't need anybody else. And that is absolutely a lie. God designed his church so that we need one another. The Bible is full of those one anothering passages. That is a lie from your own wicked heart and from Satan to think that you can get by this and defeat the sin on your own. Let me remind you of John 1, 1 John 1, 7 again. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And again, back to the Hebrews passage in 10, 24, and 25, about not forsaking the assembly of yourself together. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Oh, ladies, how we need each other. And it is so important to God. That's what he intends for us to be like as Christians, how we should operate. Number five, people aren't acrylic with us. They're not transparent. They're not going to reciprocate the transparency, so I'm not going to share with them. I don't want to keep be the one I always open up in my small group, so why should I keep doing that with my struggles? And I know for sure they're not revealing theirs. But the main reason we are not transparent, here it is, goes all the way back to what we learned from our first mother and our first father, Eve and Adam. They hid. They hid in the garden as soon as they sinned. They hid from their loving creator, the holy God that put them there in total bliss and perfection. And they hid. So we get it naturally, ladies. We just hide. It's the natural tendency of sinful, fallen women and men to hide. Let's be different. Let's be wise and let's be transparent. How else can we walk in the light? Roman numeral five, attend to your heart or guard your heart. I love Proverbs 4, 23 through 27. Look at it again when you get a chance later, but write that down. Proverbs 4, 23 through 27. Keep your heart or guard your heart with all vigilance. Vigilance, I don't know what I just said. For from it flow the springs of life. Put away from your crooked speech and put devious talk far away from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet and then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Turn your foot away from evil. I like how the NIV uh, renders verse 23. It says, above all else, guard your heart. That's how important it is. Our hearts, the seat of our mind, our will, our emotion, that's what's going on in there. It's not the chamber that's pumping the blood, but it's our being, our decision-making, our thoughts, our wills, our heart. Guard your heart. What is taking root in your heart? I have the most vivid memory from childhood my mother would get some sort of a sprig from my grandmother's yard and think, you know, or some friend would say, oh, you want to grow something? Here, I'll give you this twig. And I'm thinking, how in the world is that going to turn into a, you know, magnolia tree? I don't know. And so she would put it in the little clear mason jar of water, stick it in, put it on the windowsill in our kitchen. 
And you walk by those things. Has anybody ever done that? Rooted something from a twig? Yeah. And you think it's never going to work, but it does. So you walk by, and all of a sudden, one day, wow, look at that little sprig. Look at that little hairy growth. Look at those little hairy roots. And then in a week or two weeks, you look, and the roots have completely engulfed that mason jar. And it is ready to go out and be planted in the yard or the garden. I'm afraid some of our hearts look like that mason jar. We let a little bit of sin in, a little twig that looks like nothing's going to come from it. We didn't clean that twig out, and now it has grown and it has taken root, and we don't see it happening. It is gradual, but the roots of that sin are thick and takes over before we even realize it. I heard a pastor preach a sermon once entitled, Guard Your Heart, and in it he asked a very convicting question. He said, are you renting out rooms in your heart to your favorite sins? It's like, we've got this area, we're holy in this, and we are walking in the light in this one, but there are these rooms in my heart that I'm renting out to my sin, and I really like them being there. Do you know how subtle this can be? Look back at your own lives. Maybe some of you can say, I saw that happen in this area of my life. Or I watched that happen over the years back whenever. And you can relate to this. Maybe you're going through it right now. You've got a secret sin that has rented out multiple rooms in your life. Or maybe just one room. And you are so fine in all the other areas, you think. And you've got some hidden sin habitual sin going on in your heart you give sin a little bit and it's going to always take a lot this same pastor gave some great points on how to guard our hearts have regular times of study and prayer have regular times at church with the brethren spend more time watching your heart than all the other things in life that we're concerned about and you say, well, that's uh, pretty much good basic Christian answers, right? And I'd say that's exactly what they are. They're really good basic Christian answers. You want to guard your heart? Do those things. If we actually followed those points of application, having times of Bible study and prayer regularly, being regularly in attendance with the brethren at church, and spending more time watching our hearts than the other things in life, then we would stay in the light instead of veering off the path into darkness. Number six, our attitude. Next A word, attitude. How we view and deal with sin really shows who we are. Are we happy to stay in that sin or are we desirous to get out of it as fast as we can? You all know the, the little illustration. You take a, a pig and you take a beautiful little girl and you dress them up in pink dresses, and you put bows in their hair, and you spray them with perfume, and you just get them looking beautiful. And then you knock that pig and that little girl over into a big mud puddle, and that little girl is going to come out screaming as fast as she can to get out of that mud puddle. And you know what that pig in that pink dress is going to do? Oh, he's just going to wallow in that thing and never move. So we may say, we may look like, we may think we are Christians and we look really great on the outside, but you want to know how to tell the truth? What's your attitude towards sin? You want to get out of it as fast as you can like that little girl did? Or are you happy as a pig in mud to stay down there? 
Are you preoccupied with things that dull your soul and spiritual sensitivity? Do you display a willful arrogance that cuts you off from the influence of other believers? Are you minimizing or rationalizing your sin in some way? Are you thankful when you experience the discipline of the Lord? Because if you are his, ladies, and you are in sin, he will discipline you. You know why? Because he loves you. And whom the Lord loves, he chastens. So that is a very good thing. But more than anything else, what we need to combat darkness and successfully walk in the light is, Roman numeral 7, the atonement. Atonement, our last and most important A word. For the gospel is of first importance, and it's our only hope as non believers and believers. If you do not know Christ, you need to know again, you are a sinner, and your sins have separated you from a holy God who is light, and you are in darkness, and you deserve to suffer eternal punishment in a dark and fiery hell. But God, who is light, sent his son Jesus, the light of the world, to suffer and die on the cross in our place. He was buried and rose again the third day, and he is alive forever. Trust him, for he is your only hope. You can try to turn over the new leaf and come out of the darkness, and it won't last if you're not truly saved. But ladies... The ones of us who do understand the gospel and have embraced it and we do know Christ, remember the gospel is for us as well as believers, as, as non-believers. It's for believers as well as non-believers. Walking in the light is not legalism. It is not a holier-than-thou attitude. It is living in the light of the glorious gospel. And how and why can we walk in the light and really be transparent with others seeking help for some hidden sin or sin we struggle with or habitual sin? Why can we do that? Because we have been transported by God through Christ from the realm of darkness into his glorious light. We have the power of the Holy Spirit illuminating our hearts to sin and righteousness. There have been a few times over the years in a few ladies that I have had to counsel or talk to, and it has broken my heart because when they were faced with the realization that their, when their sin came out of the darkness and they realized that they had been exposed, you really do see at that point, talk about the attitude, you see the true colors coming out. Am I running toward the light in this and thankful for the fact that it is now out in the open and in the light, and now am I running toward the light or am I running completely away, away from all help from the word, the church, my Christian friends, am I running toward the darkness to stay in it? Oh, ladies, it is heartbreaking to see that happen, but it is so wonderful when we walk in the light and when we encourage others to walk in the light as well. One more passage of scripture, Proverbs 4, 18 through 19. Listen carefully as I read this. Proverbs 4, 18 and 19. 
But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Get the word picture. Can't you just see it? Who wakes up early like I do in the morning, like before the sunrise? Isn't it the most glorious thing to watch or to see pictures if you haven't actually seen it in person? (laughs) To watch the sunrise and the dawn of a new day? You know how it looks when it gets lighter and lighter and lighter until the sun is shining brightly? That's what this proverb says. But the path of the righteous, look, It may be cloudy to us, and we are going to be in sin and struggle with sin. But the point is to be walking toward that light and getting in a lighter area, if you will, and be exposed by the light. And that's the picture of the dawn as we walk and as we're sanctified and as we become more holy and as we strive to be that Christian that we are supposed to be in tune with the Word of God. It's going to be like the sunrise as the dawn gives way to more light and more light and more light. But contrary to that, the unrighteous, the way of the wicked, is like not just darkness, but deep darkness. You know that, that room? If you've ever slept in my basement, there's a room in my basement that is like a bear cave. And people will walk out at 10 a.m. frantic saying, should have set my alarm. I thought I would wake up. There's not a bit of light coming in that room. That's what this is talking about, a deep darkness, and you don't even know what you're stumbling over. Oh, ladies, let's strive to not be those that are going on the path or the way of the wicked, but let's be on the path of the righteous I want to leave you with three questions for reflection, which will be, I believe, in your packet, and then Ashley is going to come and give you instructions. Have you been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's marvelous light, and how do you know that? Are there current areas of sin struggle in your life or secret sins? Are these in your handout? Do you have those? What are some very practical and radical steps you can take to get rid of those? And what does your life look like when you're walking in darkness rather than life? How do you view the word, the church, and other believers at that time? So talk with each other as you are given group instructions on that, and let me pray and close this session. Father, thank you again for these sweet ladies. Thank you for your word, for your word is truth. And now as we all think and meditate on this, and are convicted by your spirit of sin that we won't let go of, or someone we need to confront about a sin that they are walking in, God, would you please give us grace and wisdom and discernment? Would you please give us the strength to obey you? God, those that don't even know about their own sin, they haven't even seen it yet, would you expose that to these dear ladies today? And help us, God, we need you. We want to walk in the light. And we thank you that you have transported us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your marvelous light. In Jesus' name, amen.